Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.com. Net. We have a terrific show for you today, including Bob uh, Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion on the differences between liberal and conservative judges. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be with us as well. It is November the 29th, and on this day in 1947, despite strong Arab opposition, the United Nations voted for the partition of Palestine and the creation of an independent Jewish state. The modern conflict between Jews and Arabs in Palestine dates back to the 1910s when both groups laid claim to the British-controlled territory. The Jews were Zionists, recent immigrants from uh, Europe and Russia, who came to the ancient homeland of the Jews to establish a Jewish national state. The na native Palestinian Arabs sought to stem Jewish immigration and set up a secular Palestinian state. <clears throat> Beginning in 1929, Arabs and Jews openly fought in Palestine, and Britain attempted to uh, limit Jewish immigration as a means of appeasing the Arabs. As a result of the Holocaust in Europe, many Jews entered Palestine illegally during World War II. Radical Jewish groups employed guerrilla tactics against uh, British forces in Palestine when they uh, sought to had betrayed the Zionist cause. At the end of World War II in 1945, the United States took up the Zionist cause. Britain, unable to find a practical solution, referred the problem to the United Nations, which was on November the 29th, uh, 1947, voted to partition Palestine. The Jews were to possess more than half of Palestine, though they made up less of half of uh, Palestine's population. The Palestinian Arabs, aided by volunteers from other countries, fought the Zionist forces, but the Jews secured full control of their UN-allocated share of Palestine and also some Arab territory. On May the 14th, 1948, Britain withdrew from the uh, ex because of the expiration of its mandate, and the State of Israel was proclaimed by Jewish Agency Chairman David Ben-Gurion. The next day, forces from Egypt, Transjordan, now known as Jordan, Syria and Lebanon and Iraq invaded Israel. The Israelis managed to fight off the Arabs and then seize key territories such as Galilee, the Palestinian coast, and a strip of the territory connecting the coastal region to the western section of Jerusalem. In 1949, UN-brokered ceasefires left the state of Israel in permanent control of those conquered areas. The departure of hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Arabs from Israel during the war left the country with a Jewish majority. So that's the story of the beginning of uh, oh, the first day of being a country uh, established by the UN. It uh, war broke out, and it's been that way ever since, hasn't it? What a shame! Why can't we all just get along? Well, stocks regained their November momentum, ticking up yesterday due to renewed optimism that the Fed has done raising interest rates. Also, Charlie Munger died at age 99. The investing guru and right-handed Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway died in a California hospital on Tuesday. Independence of being uh, Berkshire Hathaway's vice chairman, Munger was a rock star investor who served as CEO of West Coast Capital in 2010 or 11. 
when Berkshire took over control of the company. Together, Buffett and Munger capitulated, or I should say catapulted, uh, Berkshire to uh, 20% gains, twice the rate of the S&P 500, and with their innovative investing philosophies. As of this year, Munger's net worth is about $2.5 billion. Berkshire Hathaway could not have been built in its present status without Charlie's inspiration, wisdom, and participation, said Buffett in a statement. So, Charlie Munger, dead at age 99. And another note, consumer confidence rose for the first time in four months. The conference board's index rose from 99.1 to 102 in November, thanks to U.S. consumers' optimism around short-term income, hiring prospects, and the slowdown in inflation. The perceived likelihood of a recession also fell to its lowest level in 2023, though two-thirds of Americans still think Uh, one is either somewhat or very likely to happen in the next year. The improved economic outlook comes after home prices took another rise in September, even as uh, mortgage rates remained elevated. So some good news there. Uh, Auto dealers, however, are encountering difficulties in selling uh, electric vehicles, as manufacturers increase production in response to President Biden's initiative to eliminate the use of fossil fuels by subsidizing EVs with billions of dollars, the government and the utilities uh, have transferred the expense to taxpayers, to you and I. A recent study demonstrates that taxpayers bear an approximate liability of $50,000 per electric vehicle sold. That's right, $50,000 per year, amounting to $22 billion annually. Net even they recently extended $7,500 tax credit for uh, specific EV purchases is factored into this calculation. Unbelievable. So the taxpayers are pretty much subsidizing this, although significant financial resources have been invested into the industry. Auto dealerships are are having difficulty selling the EV inventories. Sales have decreased since August due to consumer inclination towards gasoline-powered cars or hybrid vehicles, which are typically more affordable and don't entail the difficulties associated with recharging electric vehicles during extended journeys. EVs represented an all-time peak of 7.8% of automobile sales in August. However, that proportion has declined ever since. In October, Automobile manufacturers are reducing production in response to the declining consumer demand for EVs. Consequently, dealerships are left with a substantial stockpile of unsold EVs, and the Biden administration is being urged by the National Automobile Dealer Association to reassess its emission standards and emphasize the criticality of incorporating hybrid vehicles and gasoline-powered automobiles with cleaner emissions into the vehicle portfolio. They contend that the intended environmental impact could be achieved without imposing any additional or restrictions on consumers by affording them options and permitting a phased transition of the fleet. Boy, that makes sense, doesn't it? However, <clears throat> like most things that are good for the American people, my guess is the Biden administration will ignore what's best for the consumer. Well, Hamas released its fifth group of hostages to the International Committee of the Red Cross yesterday as part of the extended two-day ceasefire between militant group and Israel. Twelve hostages were released in exchange for Israel's release of 30 Palestinian prisoners. Since the pause and fighting began Friday, 180 Palestinian prisoners, 61 Israeli hostages, and 24 national hostages have been released. 
How about these these Palestinians released? These are bad guys. These are people that were in prison. We don't, you know, Israel doesn't take hostages, but they had uh, prisoners who uh, broke the law, and now they're being released. That's what's happening. Meanwhile, CIA Director William Burns visited Cater, uh, or Cutter, to discuss a broader hostage agreement with officials from Qatar, Egypt, and Israel. The latest talks reportedly included pushing for the release of men and uh, both female and male soldiers. So far, the focus on the hostage release has been women and children. Separately, the first of three U.S. military planes carrying humanitarian aid for Palestinians in the Gaza Strip landed uh, in Egypt yesterday. The aid, about 54,000 pounds of food and medical supplies, will be handed over to the U.N., which will distribute the items in Gaza. In uh, the recent hostage exchange between Gaza, Hamas, and Israel, the only American release so far is a four-year-old girl, Abigail Eden, and she holds dual Israeli-American citizenship and, and is related to Liz Naftali, who was appointed by President Biden to commission in the preservation of Americans' heritage abroad in July. So uh, there are connections now between the one American released and the Democrat Party and Democrat donors. I wonder if there's any coincidence there. I suspect not. Well, the Iranian uh, government is flexing its military power via its series of recent announcements as questions continue to grow as to whether the United States is doing enough to push back against the regime's increased attacks on American interests in the aftermath of the Hamas terror attack on October the 7th. On Monday, uh, Iran unveiled a new sophisticated warship for its Caspian Sea fleet that is said says it will be a sea of peace and friendship. This is coming from, I can't believe these uh, Iranians are saying this, and said that Iran's, uh, Iran's naval power there will serve peace and security of commercial fleets confronting terrorists and probable incidents in the future. The announcement comes shortly after the country claimed it had developed a new hypersonic ballistic missile, allegedly expanding one of the most dangerous military capabilities at its disposal. Since Joe Biden took office, Iran has attacked American positions in the Middle East over 150 times, with over 70 of those attacks in the last month, said Tom Cotton, who's a Republican from Arkansas. Iran and its proxies know they can get away with this because the Biden administration rarely hits back, and when it does respond, the strikes only target empty warehouses or inconsequential proxy forces in Iraq or Syria. By the way, U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria have not become under attack from Iran uh, since the beginning of the uh, ceasefire in November the 20th, the day the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas started. So apparently this is all coordinated. They're working together, these terrorists. Uh, it's so unfortunate. And uh, again, the, the under, important point here is that uh, the Biden administration is not standing up to Iran. <clears throat> Well, the world's largest iceberg is drifting from Antarctic Circle towards the Southern Ocean, scientists confirmed last week. The floating mass sheared from the Filtner-Ron ice shelf in 1986 became stuck on the floor of the Weddell Sea, labeled A23A. The iceberg is roughly 150, I'm sorry, 1,500 square miles in size. That's five times the land area of New York City and about 1,300 feet thick, taller than the Empire State Building. Satellite imagery suggests the block has now begun moving in 2020 uh, before becoming fully adrift in recent months. At uh, A23A melts, its effect on sea level increase will be minimal, of course, because it tends to displace 
the uh, even including salinity. Those researchers say that many it may, however, threaten wildlife if it runs aground at the nearby island of South Georgia. Well, Secretary Education Secretary Miguel Cardona misinterpreted President Reagan when discussing the role of government in people's lives. Speaking alongside other governors at the winter meeting in Western Governors Association a few weeks ago in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, Cardona said, I think it was President Reagan who said we're from the government and we're here to help. Well, her mistake grew, <laughs> drew some criticism, needless to say, because the actual quote was, uh, uh, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That was from uh, Reagan. Reagan has had a vision for limited government and his policies could be associated with a narrative that conservatives are anti-government while liberals are pro-government. In this particular conference, Reagan was speaking about how government tends to be inefficient to such degree that instead of helping, it often causes harm instead. That's so true. So uh, that quote from Cardona, trying to uh, misinterpret or take out of context the comments from uh, President Reagan. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. 
or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. C-A-T-O dot org. And again, I hope you'll visit the website. Very robust website. So, Bob, uh, last week we started a conversation about... uh, liberal versus conservative judges in the way they understand and apply the Constitution. Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices. Did he also influence the trial and appellate courts? He appointed the 54 appellate judges Hmm. and 174 district judges. So three circuits under Trump uh, reverted to Republican-appointed majorities. Uh, So if if you like the notion of folks who pay attention to the text and are anchored and bound by the written words of the of our founding documents, then his nominees uh, were no doubt your cup of tea. Uh, if you preferred this living constitution that can be uh, manipulated by empathetic uh, judges who have a, a social consciousness, then Trump was a big problem. His, uh, his supporters, I think, correctly pointed to uh, judicial appointments as a major reason uh, to uh, praise his uh, presidency and and uh, one major reason that he's putting forward that he deserves a second term. Well, you know, I would say, suggest that uh, conservative judges also have empathy, but they don't necessarily be, they're not influenced by that, or not much anyhow, when it comes to making decisions about the law and the Constitution. Yes, correct. That's absolutely correct. So uh, when liberals and conservatives talk about confirming new judges, both groups condemn judicial activism. What exactly do they mean by judicial activism? Well, in a nutshell, it means intervention by the courts. I mean, either to do what the legislature didn't do or to overturn what the legislature did do. So, you know, is, is it bad or good? Well, it's, it, in some respects, both. Uh, on the good side, judicial activism can be appropriate as a means to protect rights that the legislature hasn't uh, protected and should have protected. And that's what judges are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if someone's constitutional rights have been violated and the legislature hasn't stepped in to stop the violation, the courts can and should uh, do so. And again, on the good side, uh, it, the, the judicial activism can be appropriate when a judge overturns an enactment of a legislature that's unconstitutional. Hmm. Judges have a responsibility to invalidate all the laws that don't conform to the Constitution, and the courts would be derelict if they endorsed unconstitutional acts merely because the legislature uh, passed them. But then there's a bad side, and that is that 
judicial activism would not be appropriate uh, if a judge were to overturn a law simply because, as a policy matter, he, the judge or she, disapproved of the uh, of the law. Because unlike a legislator, a judge is, is supposed to apply the law mm-hmm. and not impose his policy preference by creating new law. So has uh, judicial activism been a problem over the years? Yes. I think uh, during the Warren Court era, particularly when the justices protected all sorts of supposed rights, such as welfare that isn't uh, that aren't in the Constitution. Uh, but, you know, overall, since the beginning, the Supreme Court has overturned 150 acts of Congress and maybe 1,200 uh, state and municipal laws. Now, I haven't obviously looked at each of those, but I'm pretty confident that those of us interested in limited government and, and, uh, and interested in expanding individual liberty, we've been pretty well served by the court's uh, invalidation of most of these <laughs> uh, laws that we've found to be oppressive. And uh, our system of checks and balances provides uh, a lot of remedies if the judges overreach. I mean, we have the confirmation process. We have impeachments. We can uh, The legislature can restrict the court's appellate jurisdiction. Uh, the Congress can repass legislation to satisfy the court's objections. And then the executive branch has some discretion in enforcement and, of course, Ultimately, you always have the remedy of a constitutional amendment if that should be uh, desirable and necessary. Right. Yeah. What popped in my mind as you were speaking is uh, Obamacare and the how the decision about Obamacare did did that involve judicial activism in your opinion? Yes, definitely did. It was it was uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, in in that case uh, concerned with preserving the institutional respectability of the Supreme Court as he perceived it. And he thought that by uh, effectively, I think, making up law, uh, he would accomplish that. Yeah. But of course, the, the, the judge's uh, function, the justice's function, is to enforce the provisions of the Constitution. Uh, and while institutional respectability is something that the court should aspire to, it should not be the criterion on which uh, decisions are rendered. Thank you, Bob. So how do libertarians view the proper role of uh, judges differently than, say, conservatives? Well, libertarians believe that the judiciary shouldn't be uh, engaged in activism or or pacifism. It should be vigorously engaged in securing our rights and limiting uh, government power. So some conservatives who fear too much activism demand that the courts... Uh, defer, perhaps, you know, I think rubber stamp is more accurate, the decisions of Congress and the state legislatures. Mm-hmm. And conservatives also favor judicial restraint uh, when the courts are asked to overturn duly enacted laws. The problem there is that when the courts are have blanket deference to, to the legislature, that effectively removes the courts from the carefully crafted system of checks and balances designed by the framers to prevent the abuse of power. And that's one reason I think the government at all levels has grown uh, in surprisingly and, and, and virtually unchecked ways uh, at the expense mostly of individual rights. You know, Bob, uh, it's, it appears to me that the courts have been reluctant to take up the issues of 
the election fraud and those types of uh, the issues. And I realize they're political, and, uh, but uh, I was wondering if you could comment on that. The court has a doctrine called the political question doctrine, which says if there are no uh, applicable judicial standards discernible by the justices, that the process, the answer to the problem ought to be left to the electorate and handled at the ballot box instead of by the court. I, you know, personally, I think there's something to that, but it, it is true, I think, that the Supreme Court has overextended the use of the political question doctrine and it restrains itself from getting involved in issues where the court has a legitimate role to play. Well, thanks for those comments, Bob. What, would term limits for judges move us in the right direction? Yeah, I think it would help, uh, either term limits or mandatory retirement age. It would serve three purposes. First, it would prevent the concentration of power. Second, it would remove uh, justices who may no longer be performing effectively. And third, I think it would depoliticize this confirmation process uh, by spreading judicial appointments among uh, the presidents of different parties. Uh, you know, I would favor 18-year terms with staggered expirations. One justice would be replaced every two years, and that would give each president an opportunity to appoint uh, at least two justices during his or her four-year presidency. Now, there are some downsides. The, the presidential candidates would announce their nominees perhaps as a political campaign tactic. Mm -hmm. uh, there'd be higher turnover on the bench. Uh, we'd, we'd have these uh, biennial confirmations, and, and the shorter terms might diminish the court's stature and maybe even the stability of legal doctrine. But notwithstanding those downsides, I think term limits are an idea who overdue. Uh, we should implement that. Uh, it would appeal to me to... <laughs> how about the chief justice of the Supreme Court? Uh, he would, he'd be involved in the rotation? Yes, he'd be involved in the rotation as well. And, yes. uh, and uh, every year, you know, we're talking about 80, 18 years, so it's not like we're asking him to step onto the court and then step off. Right. It's a long period of time. Absolutely. Interesting idea. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I hope you visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 
269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Andy. So uh, what's on your mind today? Well, I got a lot on my mind. Let's hope we can get to half of it, Bob. So first of all, let's start out with a quote that I think is important, and I'll try to uh, illustrate that importance with the second quote. There's something called Hanlon's Razor. Hanlon's Razor says, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by ignorance. Now, I've used that quote for many years myself, but uh, as I hear the comments being made about the people in the American political arena, especially those that are in the, the pro-Hamas uh, uh, rioting crowds at, at colleges, I believe the quote has to be changed to never attribute to ignorance what can adequately be explained by malice. In other words, I, I am suggesting, Bob, that if, if it's ignorance that is our problem, that can be undone. Yeah. Ignorance can be undone by the insertion of information, by uh, the insertion of facts and so forth. But if it's malice, that is not undone, or at least not undone easily. So let me get to my second quote and sort of illustrate that. Mm. Uh, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona recently said, it was President Reagan who said, we're from the government, we're here to help. <laughs> that is what Cardona said in terms of his hearing before Congress. Of, of course, that is not what Reagan said. Reagan said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here right. to help. So my point would be to align that with my first. Do I think that Cardona was just ignorant when he said that? No, I don't. I think he intentionally, willfully, and maliciously avoided the comment of, the, of Reagan, the real quote, uh, to make his point in a, uh, in a backhanded way, attributing it to Ronald Reagan. You know, Andy, I, but you know what? It sounded, it made him look so stupid. <laughs> it made him look so ignorant. Well, uh, but again, you see, that, yeah, again, I'm not going to say anything negative about you, of course, Bob, but I think that <laughs> to attribute it to ignorance means that somehow he found that quote yeah. and, and ignored the essential nature of the quote. Uh, now, that's, that's not a dramatically malicious comment, but essentially I think it makes my point that, and exactly the way you described it, you described it as ignorance, right? And I believe it's more than that. I believe it's maliciousness, Bob. Well, and I'll, I'll go further. Just I think he takes for granted uh, the ignorance of his of the electorate. In other words, he, he thinks they don't know anything so he can get away with saying things like that. I, I think that is something that should be uh, stated all the time. Some of these comments made from the left presume an audience that is so... Uh, 
uh, incredibly ignorant, or in some cases, let me make my point again, in some cases very uh, uh, malevolent, yeah. Uh, that they, they, they succeed in, the, in these comments. I don't think anyone on the left would have challenged Cardona's comment. Uh, perhaps a few on the right will. Uh, I, am a, I am certainly, but I think you're absolutely right. The, the willingness to offer these type of ignorant comments uh, is certainly an indication of how they perceive their audience, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. So usually you have some good news for us uh, to start the show. What are your thoughts? Well, there's a good news story uh, unfolding, and I hope it stays as good news. Uh, Geert Wilder's <laughs> as uh, the the, uh, the head of the largest party now in Parliament in the Netherlands. Uh, the recent election has put his party uh, somewhat in control. They will probably dictate the terms of the next government. Uh, it'll take a coalition. Uh, Wilder was elected on the basis primarily of the, the problems with unlimited immigration into, into the Netherlands, primarily Islamic immig immigration. Uh, so he has been very strong in that area. Uh, he has told the 700,000 uh, Muslims in the Netherlands yeah. that if they are not willing to follow uh, the, the laws of the Netherlands, if they insist on following only Sharia laws, the laws of Islam, uh, that they should just leave leave the Netherlands. That's a strong comment. But certainly if, if a group of people is not willing to follow the laws of a nation, that the comment is not without without appropriate positioning. Uh, he also indicated that in terms of the, uh, the story in Gaza in the West Bank, that the, the, uh, the people in Gaza and the West Bank should leave and go to Jordan, which was originally supposed to be their, their homeland, the two-state solution would have been Jordan and Israel, but these people have stayed in, in contiguous Israel, and, and that is the source of all of our current problems, or Israel's current problems. So what uh, Wilder suggested is they go to Jordan, where they were supposed to be to start with, and that, in fact, would be the appropriate, and by the way, in my estimation, Bob, the only valid two-state solution. Wilder's, uh, whether he'll be able to hold on to these positions, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, he's, he has ex eccentricities in his past, which were me, uh, but let's hope that he holds on to some of these as he forms his coalition government, Bob. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's also the canary in the coal mine in the sense that perhaps it shows that people are moving towards nationalism and, and uh, national pride as opposed to being globalists and wanting to get on board the World Economic Forum. Yeah, I mean, certainly Wilder's actually uh, issued a, uh, a, a warning, so to speak, to uh, President Biden uh, that, in fact, uh, you know, his government was, was going to be formed on the basis of, of, of immigration. And he looked at the United States and saw essentially the same issue arising for the 2024 campaign. Uh, now, his warning was, I think, uh, one that will be not be taken uh, to heart by the president, of course. Uh, but again, I think Wilder sees himself as, as authoring a position that has worldwide implication, Bob. I agree with that, Andy. Any more good news? Uh, yeah, there's one story. It's uh, a bit old at this point, but I think it should be brought to, uh, to your re uh, audience's attention. Uh, in, uh, in South Carolina, uh, William Cogswell uh, is projected to win, and I believe that's been confirmed now, uh, the may as the mayor of Charleston, South Carolina. Now, what's important about that, Bob? That is the first Republican mayor in Charleston since 1877. So we're talking about 150 years yeah. almost uh, since a, uh, a Republican headed 
the uh, was in the uh, mayor's chair in in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. I think it may be indicative of something. At least I'd like to to hope that that is part of a uh, of a general trend that we can anticipate going into 2024. Well, another canary in the coal mine, Andy. In our favor, I would say. Andy, you need to take a break. Can you stick around? I will be here. Buddy. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You've heard us talk about the Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Great breakfasts and lunches. While well, now serving dinners Wednesday through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. So I hope you take a look, a look at uh, Lulubee's Diner for dinner, 4 to 8 p.m. Wednesday through uh, Saturday. Terrific value. Great menu. A lot of comfort food and some great seafood as well. Again, Lulu Bee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Any more good news? Well, a good news story linked with a uh, what I think is a, a possible negative story. Uh, at this point, President uh, ex-President Donald Trump has... Uh, it, uh, created the largest margin between himself and the second candidate, a whopping 50 points. 
between himself and either DeSantis or, or, or Nikki Haley at this point. I, I think that shows that, that Donald Trump has the staying power uh, to get through the primary, and I believe to drive through into the presidency. Uh, that waits to be seen, of course. So I think that's, that's a good news story to see that uh, uh, the, the propaganda of the left uh, is not uh, is not uh, getting any traction with the with the majority of voters. So I think that's a good news story. My my bad news story associated with that is that I've I've read several commentators and uh, this aligns itself with something I said uh, at the beginning, way at the beginning, before the beginning of the DeSantis entry into the primary, is that his entry may in fact. Uh, damage his eventual candidacy in 2028. Now, I know you and I have disagreed with that, and uh, I, I hope I'm wrong about it. Uh, but again, I'm seeing uh, more and more commentators dealing with the possible issue that DeSantis has become weakened, uh, in some cases being passed in the primaries by, by Nikki Haley, and that this will damage his potential for 2028. And, and from my perspective, Bob, that has always been my concern with mm-hmm. uh, DeSantis, DeSantis going into a direct challenge in this primary with, with Donald Trump. It was totally unnecessary, totally inappropriate totally uh, uncalled for. And as I said at that time, if he did it, this is before he did it, if he did it, it would be stupid. And I said, Ron DeSantis is not stupid. And I don't believe he is stupid, Bob, but I think those that advised him to get into this race at that time in a direct head-to-head challenge with Donald Trump were. Uh, So I hope Ron DeSantis has not been damaged. I think he still, I hope he still stands strong in 2028. Uh, And again, it's one of these things where, again, once more, I hope I'm wrong about this. Well, I certainly understand. And uh, of course, he's going toe-to-toe with with, uh, uh, Newsom in California uh, on the Hannity show. I don't understand where, how he made that decision. I think that's just really... Uh, not a good decision. Well, I think it's a sign of desperation. I think DeSantis sees himself getting no traction, uh, and in fact being passed by, by Haley in some of the polls. Uh, you know, the commentators say Nikki Haley is surging. No one says Ron DeSantis is surging. It hasn't, it hasn't happened since he came into the primaries. So again, Ron DeSantis is looking for a moment of rebirth, or birth perhaps at all, and I think he saw that this uh, debate with Newsom tomorrow night, I believe it is, Bob, yeah. uh, on, on uh, Hannity, will give him that, uh, that, that surge. Uh, we'll have to wait to see how it happens. I don't think it'll happen that way. Uh, Newsom, for all his, uh, his uh, problems with his positions, is very effective as a public speaker. He's, he's articulate. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough road to hoe for, uh, for Ron DeSantis, and I hope he doesn't become diminished at the end of it. Yeah, me too. Uh, by the way, uh, Nikki Haley has now been endorsed by the Koch brothers and Americans for Prosperity. That's not a small endorsement. I mean, the uh, Americans for Prosperity has a real army out there in terms of uh, making connections with the populace, and uh, uh, if, if her problem is awareness, then uh, she has made a real step forward. However, I don't think that is the issue. The issue is, I think people are looking to Donald Trump as a, a source of hope for the future, and I uh, think uh, that uh, trying to create awareness about Nikki Haley is not going to not going to do too much for her. I, I think the uh, may may shift uh, voters from DeSantis or or. Uh, or some of the other primary candidates to Nikki Haley. I don't think they're going to shift anyone from uh, Ronald, uh, Donald Trump to uh, to Nikki Haley. So, again, 
we have to uh, understand that uh, I think the race is pretty much fixed in terms of Donald Trump. I think his support is there, and I think it's firm. It's, that's demonstrated in the polling numbers. Uh, I think where, where the, uh, the flexibility exists is how the, the secondary and tertiary candidates distribute their votes, and I think that will be affected by the Koch brothers. I think that's absolutely true, Andy. So I want to get your thoughts about what's happening with uh, the uh, situation in Israel and uh, Gaza and uh, with the Hamas. Well, I published an essay, which I think you probably have seen, where it said, uh, save 100 lives today, lose 1,000 lives tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, it's hard to uh, to say anything negative about the release of hostages. This is the going into the sixth day of the ceasefire. Uh, and it's described, of course, as humanitarian uh, aid uh, that's coming in. There's no doubt, and there should be no doubt in anyone's mind, that this is a, uh, a time for Hamas to refortify themselves, bringing in weaponry, fuel to, uh, fuel to support their, their rocketry process, and so forth. Uh, this is a very dangerous time for Israel. I think they but almost by necessity had to do it. The pressure on them was significant, not only from the internal sources in Israel, the citizenry of Israel, but also from the United States, I'm sure, behind the scenes, or or frontly, actually. Uh, the United States has been uh, urging this kind of ceasefire. To have it six days, I think, is just a uh, almost a, a semi-death wish, in my opinion. So well, I think that's what we're looking at there, a, a necessary process of getting hostages out, and I think that's good in itself. But if we look at the extended implication, I think it will cost far, far more uh, Israeli lives in the in the future, Bob. Yeah, uh, I think you make a good point. Although I, uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a guest on Monday, and he suggested and told me that uh, actually this is good for the Israeli troops as well because they need a rest. They need a place to uh, opportunity to sleep in their own bed or, you know, those types of comments. So he says this could benefit both sides, and uh, I, I hope he's right about that. Well, look, I mean, sleeping in the bed and resting and all recuperating is one thing, you know, the ability for Hamas to restore their military capability is another thing. So uh, he might be right. Uh, I can't argue with it, obviously. But uh, if, if I was to uh, cast my lot with this, I think it would, it's a, a dangerous thing for, uh, for Israel. But again, it, it, we can't debate that here because I, I don't think I know that, obviously, and uh, neither, neither did he per se. So this is a, an area where uh, we're all trying to figure out the, the yeah. best thing for Israel to do to, to survive this process, and, and it's very hard to figure out exactly what that should be. Uh, let, let me go to another quote as long as we're in this area right now. Uh, the, the point wasn't to introduce a quote, but to show how the history of, 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 of Judaism has been expressed within the history of America. America. John Adams in 1808 uh, said uh, that the Hebrews, the Jews, uh, did more to civilize men than any other nation. He said, if I were an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I should still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing the nations. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. So this was a fairly common view among, among our founders, uh, and one I read was in, just expressed by, by one of them, John Adams. Uh, but this is the way the, the, the Hebrews, as he called them, were, uh, were defined at that point in time. Uh, we've seen that, that shift, of course. Uh, that, let me point out something that is, is almost never discussed in terms of, of anti-Semitism. And I, this will not be an attack on any religion, so please, your audience, understand what I'm going to say is not that. 
but it is, it is an indication of an historical reality. As the Jewish sect separated from mainline Judaism, that Jewish sect being Christianity, uh, they in fact created a tremendous level of, of, of umbrage towards the, the larger Jewish population that had rejected the Christ. So there was a, at the origins of Christianity, there was a tremendous amount of negativity hmm. directed back towards mainline Judaism uh, because of their rejection of the, uh, of the Christ Messiah. Now, again, that is not attacking Christianity or, or current Christianity, but it is one of the ongoing sources of anti-Semitism. I would suggest the same thing happened in Islam. Uh, Muhammad essentially copied himself uh, off of early Judaism. And essentially, when they failed uh, to, to support his emerging uh, Islam, uh, he, in fact, turned them into an enemy that he put into doctrine of, of Islam uh, in the Koran, in the Hadith, and in the Surah. Uh, so again, we're looking at uh, this historical origin of, of anti-Semitism coming both from early Christianity and early Islam that, is, is, that has been perpetrated all the way through the modern world. Now, it has different forms today, of course. But again, these two elements are typically left out of the discussion, Bob. That's so interesting. Andy, you need to take another break. Can you stick around? I'll, I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Uh, they help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies 
as elected officials. I hope you'll visit the website and find out more. TheFGA.org. TheFGA.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Andy, uh, you wrote me about Jews and Theodore Herzl. I was wondering if you could make some comments. I'll get to that just once. I'm watching the, the news and right now just seeing that there are record low temperatures being recorded across the United States. Record low temperatures. So let's see if the media reports on the coming of the Ice Age. I yeah. doubt that'll happen, of course. But, uh, or will they even comment on this phenomenon? So moving away from that, but I think that's worth noting in the future. Uh, let me talk about Theodore Herzl and, and Zionism. Uh, Herzl is, the, is given credit for being not only the father of Zionism, but the father of the modern Jewish state. Uh, he tends to be ignored by, by most uh, contemporary historians, even, and certainly members of the, the lay public. Uh, Herzl was a, a giant of a, of a man. He was the, the leading um, writer for uh, the major newspaper in Austria at that point. He was also a playwright. This is a, a true intellectual. Uh, as he was writing uh, his columns in Paris, uh, for that newspaper, he was there during the Dreyfus affair when, uh, when Dreyfus was uh, a, a Jewish member of the mil- uh, French military, was accused of treason, and he was in the streets of Paris as they screamed, "Kill the Jew! Kill the Jew! Kill the Jews!" And, and at that point, Herzl, who was not particularly vehement in any of his religious views or even his commitment to uh, to Judaism, uh, began to understand the depth of the problem uh, as it pertained to not only Paris and France but perhaps all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he began to understand that there was a significant need for a safe place uh, for the Jews to go because of what he saw. And he projected, uh, without using the word Holocaust, he projected the potentials of what may exist in, uh, in Europe that might exist, uh, uh, replicate the pogroms of, of Russia that had killed thousands of Jews in, uh, in their, their violent activities. And he saw that projected over the full continent of Europe. Uh, and, of course, that came to pass with the Holocaust in the, uh, in the late 30s. Uh, so again, we're looking at a man that uh, singly, individually, was able to persuade the vast majority of world leaders as to his position. As a matter of fact, it was his persuasion of the leaders in, uh, in Britain, England, uh, as to the righteousness of his cause, that at the end of World War I created the Balfour Declaration, creating the, the Jewish state uh, of Israel and the simultaneous uh, Arab state. There were no Palestinians to so the Arab state of Jordan. Uh, and the reason behind that was, in fact, uh, Theo Herzl's activities single-handedly. Uh, he affected the, uh, at, at his, he led a short life, only 44 years. He died in 1904, but he affected the czars of Russia. He affected the kings of England and the prime minister of England. He affected these, these major world leaders with his view that they were typically antagonistic to at the starting point. And yet, at the end of, of Herzl's interaction, they supported the state of Israel, and that is what should have happened at the end of World War One. Of course, it never came to pass, and and the rest of it is is history that that we're unfortunately aware of at this moment. But Herzl was the driving force, and, and considered the uh, not considered. He is the only individual named uh, in the in the uh, Jewish uh, uh, the Israeli Declaration of Independence. Theodor Herzl is that man, Bob. I had no idea. That's such an interesting story. I was totally unaware of that. By the way, does it concern you that, it, that I'm seeing stories that Biden supports 
the continuation of Hamas uh, being the leader of Gaza, and that uh, some of his positions, quite frankly, don't seem to be supportive of, of Israel. Well, look, I think that uh, he's... Uh in terms of Israel, I think uh, Biden's like an iceberg. You know, what we know is that small tip above the surface. That's the part he wants us to see. But I think the majority of his views below the surface are, are negative or those that restrict the necessary act activities of Israel. Uh, and this leaves Netanyahu in a, in a tremendous bind. He's already in a bind because of the simultaneous demands on him to free the hostages, yet keep the security of Israel in place. Uh, the, the people who were damaged by the release power Palestinian hostages also have a right to take those positions to court and prevent those those exchanges. So he's in a very difficult situation. And the United States, rather than offering him their unlimited support for the choices he may have to make, yeah. I think continuously, uh, and Blinken being the, the spearhead of that, is undermining his positions and giving dignity giving dignity to uh, to Hamas. If we extend that uh, discussion to the United Nations, the United Nations has recently offered eight condemnations of Israel while offering no condemnations at that point for anyone else. Now, recently, there have been some minor con negative comments about Hamas, but essentially, the United Nations, theoretically this body, world body for peace, has uh, uh, condemned Israel uh, with all with that they knew about the, the horrors inflicted on that small Jewish state, Bob. Unbelievable, isn't it? Just, just can't. And we're supporting. We're one of the biggest supporters of the UN, and yet, the, in so many different ways, they are absolutely fighting. And how about these uh, uh, confabs of uh, meetings right now that we're seeing seventy thousand people showing up uh, to talk, discuss climate change. <laughs> It's it's, it's awesome. Well, I mean, and, and this includes the United States military. It's their major issue. Uh, this 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 is nonsense. There's a uh, there's so much that's been written on this. At least I can make a comment without real fear of challenge. There is a significant body of information, scientifically yeah. sponsored by by thousands of scientists, that seriously refutes the existing position on climate change. Right. Uh, and yet that position has no life. Uh, that is the most amazing thing, and I think it illustrates the political nature of, of climate change. And by the way, it has always been a political process, going back to the late uh, latter part of the 1980s. It has always been political, Bob. And no question about it. In fact, this has got nothing to do with climate change, everything to do with the transfer of wealth from nation to nation. No, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt in my and and diminishing the Western nations and particularly the United States. Absolutely, Andrew Joppa again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, a great read by the way. It's uh, off topic for today's discussion, but I hope you take a look at uh, uh, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining hope us. To see you you as well. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll be talking about education in Florida. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobhardnethotmail.com. I really appreciate your listening. And if you enjoy the show, I hope you pass the word on to your friends. It's one of the ways we build our audience and support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.